Welcome to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, the podcast that answers your questions about arcade repair and restoration. Now, here are your hosts, Eric and Chris. Welcome to Arcade Repair Tips. I'm your host, Eric, and with me is my co-host, Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, Eric. Thanks. Well, if you're a long-time listener, you may notice that we are not Tim and Jonathan. That's because they've passed the torch to us, and we'll be with you every month answering your arcade and pinball questions. Tim and Jonathan have moved on. They're going to be focusing on video content moving forward, as most of their stuff is already available on YouTube for your reference, education, and enjoyment with new videos coming soon. So you might be asking, who the heck are these Eric and Chris guys? Uh, well, to, to kind of cover that a little bit, why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started in arcade machines, or would that be pinball, Eric? Oh, man, I guess it's probably a, a little bit of both. I, I can remember, you know, just like many of the people listening to this podcast, I grew up in the 80s pretty much living at the arcade, and nothing was more fascinating than to watch the repair techs working on the underside of a pinball machine, seeing how all that machinery worked and you know trying to learn as much as i could without annoying the the repairman working on things and (laughs) you know fast forward a few years uh late 80s i think uh best i can remember 1988 or 89 i was able to acquire my first pinball machine couldn't afford one that worked of course (laughs) so (laughs) you know uh we got a good deal on a, a broken uh machine specifically it was a black hole pinball machine oh nice which is old now, but at the time was only, oh, about eight years old. And, uh, you know, was was forced into learning how to work on machines. So that was my my entry into repairing them. So, uh, and, awesome. And that was, of course, long before the Internet. So you had to, you had to learn from uh, bugging your local repair tech, which is exactly what I did. And he helped me out tremendously. So hopefully we can do the same here. <laughs> awesome. How about you, Chris? When did you, how did you get started? Oh, well, trust me. I was the local ops worst nightmare of a child. Uh, so uh, I, I think I my first exposure was to electromechanical pinball in my parents' pool hall. Um, got to know the local op sort of, sort of well for, well, being seven years old. Um, didn't get a chance to work on any of the machines until much later on in the 80s uh, when they opened an arcade down the street from me. I became fascinated with stand-up arcade machines. Uh, I think Donkey Kong, Astro Blaster was probably one of my my bigger uh, obsessions. And so I, I ended up ordering manuals from a local Betson Pacific distributor and started reading schematics and trying to understand how they work. Uh, so, so Chris, before you ever owned an arcade machine, you were buying, you were acquiring schematics, I were, taking was them home and, them, yes. and, and studying them. And studying them and looking at boxes with a bunch of lines in between it. I have no idea what any of it meant. Uh, but it taught me how to read things like, uh, you know, AND gates and NOR gates and, and studying the logic and things like that, uh, before I even, wet my whistle with microprocessors or even having an understanding of how any of that worked uh, before getting my hands on some, some PC boards that were being discarded because they were starting with game conversions. Uh, and, and that was kind of the beginning of my learning how to 
uh, destroy, I mean, solder boards <laughs> uh, at that age. Uh, thankfully, things have improved over time, and I've learned a lot, and uh, hope to and, share some of that. Luckily, now we have so many more resources than than oh, we did back yeah. then. Where if you're just getting into this hobby, you're in a good spot. It, it's there's there's so much out there between you know with, between online forums and uh, and YouTube channels. You are very fortunate with all the content that you can get your hands on, all of the open communities that are willing to help uh, with repairs as well as great online parts resources. I think one of the bigger hurdles back in the day was having to thumb through a huge catalog. Right. Trying to locate a, a coil. You know, there was no simple. Bob Roberts. There was there, no Marco Specialties. There wasn't. There. there wasn't. I think there was a Wyco distributor, and there right. was a Betson Pacific or some form of Betson somewhere, depending <laughs> on which region you were sitting in. Well, I think they've heard enough about us. So yeah. how, how about we go straight into the questions? All right, let's go. All right. So the first question is from Paige. She asks, I have a question concerning a DDR fourth mix monitor issue that I've been experiencing since a recent move. Our monitor jumps in correlation with the rhythm of the player's steps on the dance floor. This leads me to believe that it's a loose wire that has worked its way free during the move process. But before I get down to brass tacks, I wanted to ask ask the experts. So she, she, she moves the machine... And now it's in the new location. It's working, but, you know, DDR is a, is, is a very physical game. Bouncing up and down on that pad, and the, the monitor is, is jumping around. So, you know, first thing you think of is a, a loose connection. Well, that's, that's great, but Absolutely. how do I narrow it down to which connection that is? <laughs> yeah, I think this is, a, this is a classic case. It happens more often than not. As a matter of fact, if you were to ever buy a brand new video game in the box, the first thing they tell you to do is open it up on inspection and check for loose connections. Right. Make sure your connections are nice and tight. Uh, this is a, a great example where you have a friend over and you say, hey, watch the screen. And you right. go on the back and you start wiggling wires. See if you can figure out which part of the connections are uh, are loose. And the, the good thing about this question is that she's talking about the monitor jumping. So... There, there's really uh, uh, only a few connections here we're going to be talking about. So your your monitor has a power connection. Mm-hmm. It has a, a usually, on a game this new, it's going to have a remote adjustment board that's connected. And lastly, it's going to have the video input. Now, if you can eliminate the, the others, you'll know which one is the video input. Uh, now, I, I would recommend taking some kind of of insulated device that you like a uh oh almost like a uh like a a pencil or uh what would be something else good I that... think the the not to not to enforce any brands so I won't mention specific brand names but there's a a certain fast food restaurant that has very thick straws that they use for shakes that <laughs> has a yellow logo and you know it looks like a w upside down uh, that's probably a, a great implement as long as there's no you're, shake. You're talking inside. about that restaurant that's in coming to America, right? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. McDowell's? M- M- McDowell's or something. <laughs> yes, something like that. Yeah. Uh, as long as there's no shake inside that straw, you should be good to go. <laughs> and it'll be a fine insulated tool to, to kind of poke around. But I'm almost willing to bet you can, you can grab the wire harness right on the outside of the monitor and, and kind of wiggle it around. Uh, if you're looking at the connections near the PC boards, you, you probably just want to turn the power off and just make sure that they're seated 
nice and firmly. Um, okay, so let's say that you take your probing attachment, your straw, <laughs> or, or whatever you can it's find. It's the probing implementation tool. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever you're using, once again, a non-metallic uh, device. And, and what, what you want to do is, is kind of push in, uh, uh, poke at the where the uh, signal input comes into the monitor. And you've got your buddy on the other side of it, and as soon as you hit it, they say, "Oh, yep, 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 it's it's jumping." So, so, so now what do we do? Well, um, let's see. If it's at the monitor, a really common problem would be, um, well, one, it's just not seated nice and snug. It should be seated nice and snug. But a, another really common problem in these monitors with those kinds of connectors is that the solder joints crack after a while, and so you would have to actually remove the chassis board and uh, take a soldering iron and reflow those connections. So that's, that's getting a, a little bit more in-depth. So some of, the, so, uh, some of the things that we can do without taking the chassis out, we could, we could, take, the, we could take the connector off of it, and where you have the, the pins coming off of the monitor chassis, you can clean those. You can, there's a couple of different methods. You could use a, like a Scotch-Brite pad. You can use a pencil eraser. Pencil eraser is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if the pins on the connector, on the Molex connector, are, are bad, you know, that's a little bit trickier. But you know what? A game that new probably is not going to have any kind of corrosion on it. It's, it's most likely going to come down to just a loose connector for that monitor or, or possibly just cleaning the, the pins, the, the male pins on the, on the monitor Indeed. chassis. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the next one. All right. I'll take this one here. This is from Scott. Have you ever cleaned then clear coat? Clear. I can't even say it. Have you ever cleaned and then clear coated a pinball playfield? I've seen it done in what appears to be excellent results. Do you have any suggestions for a great result, or is it a waste of time? And we just need to stick with the wax. Thanks. Okay. So. Uh, there's there's first let's talk about should you do it if this is if if the play field is in good shape and this is going to be for your home you're just not going to get a lot of play uh you know what i'd stick with the wax you know the 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 same thing everybody that has a pinball machine uses novus number two right but there are going to be some situations where you you may want to clear coat it there's some of the older pinball machines are are notorious for having flaking paint on it when uh you know when it gets older and used a lot well i've had some recent experience in clear coating a play field uh and i can tell you what i did that worked out well and what we what we did that did not work out well so you know if you have the money and uh, and you want a a nice clear coat on it and i I'd, I'd actually recommend somebody that paints cars do it for you and uh of course you're you're going to need to take the play field out you're going to need to strip everything off of the play field uh that's going to be quite a task if it's uh something you've never done before just understand you're talking many 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 hours of to just to strip the play field and to put everything back on it so make sure you know you're ready for what you're getting into but and thankfully we live in the age of cell phones where most people can take pictures, pictures. because pictures are pictures, your friend pictures here. pictures yeah if you think uh. you've got enough pictures take twice as many then you might have <laughs> enough um but recently went through uh the process of doing this on a williams space shuttle 
the, the, the problem was this, this machine is actually on location. Yes, this old machine is on location. It's here in Houston at, at the arcade called the Game Preserves. And one of the owners came to me and said, hey, you know, look, look, you know, look what's happened to my, to the space shuttle. Is there, what can we do about it? Now I had a spare play field, a used play field. So, well, we can do a play field swap on it. But you're going to have the same problem again several months down the road. Just, that's just the quality of that play field back then. So he said, well, how, 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 if we, how about if we clear coat this thing? And that's exactly what we did. There is a, a, a common friend of ours did this with his machine using an off-the-shelf. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a brand. It's a uh, um, clear coat called Spraymax. 2K or Spraymax 2000, and it, it I, when I say off the shelf, what I mean by that is from an auto parts uh, paint supplier. Spraymax 2000, why that's so 16 years ago? <laughs> Tell me that it works. <laughs> so this is a it's what they call a two part auto clear, meaning that you have that has a hardener that has to be released. You push a button on the bottom of it, and it it mixes the the chemicals in it, and you have I think 24 hours to use it. And it's uh, for for a rattle can. It's it's kind of pricey. It's uh, about twenty dollars a can, Ooh. but it's some good stuff, and it works as advertised. It it it's a fantastic product. So anyway, so out of curiosity, I don't mean to interrupt you, but how many cans did it take to clear coat a playfield? One. What? Wow, that's some and great that coverage. Was do, that was uh, that was doing a couple of coats. I think two, maybe three. I think three. Three coats, and it's been a few months. Oh, wow. That's from from memory. But here is the lesson that we learned. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Uh here it comes. That's right. That's right. So, you know, of course you want to – once you have the play field stripped and you're just down to a a piece of wood that that you're you're clear coating, you want a nice, clean play field, right? (laughs) One would think. You you, (laughs) – You know, you know what you don't use to clean the playfield? Sandpaper. <laughs> Novus number two. You don't. You don't use a wax to clean the playfield because, oh. as you can jump ahead right now and guess what happened? If you use a oh. a wax to clean the playfield, like Novus, like all of us pinball people are used to using, the clear coat does not do well with that. No. So unfortunately, we we learned from that. We, we when the clear coat went on, it it was uh, creating uh, divots, and well, this just isn't working out well. We realized it that we that it was the wax, or we thought it was the wax. So we took another. I had a, I've got some spare playfields up in the attic, some uh, unused ones, and and uh, cleaned it with. Uh, oh, I think we used alcohol or or you know something of that nature. And tried the same same stuff, and oh, it was a beautiful finish on mm. it. It worked, it worked great. Could not have been happier with the results. So, so, so this product I'm talking about, the SprayMax 2K, SprayMax 2000, works great. It is a you know, inexpensive solution. Just clean it properly before you use it. Is it is not a good coating to 
to clear coat a bottle of Novus too. <laughs> right. Okay. So if you ever are in Houston, you go to the game preserve and you go see and 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 it's the machine we're talking about is back in play. <laughs> so look at the uh, not so great job of clear coating and 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 I don't know maybe we'll do another one so you can see how it should look. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good to know. Good to know. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a little uh, good advice, whether you're painting anything or or, uh, or clear coating or what have you, is remove any waxy substances with any right. kind of cleaner. Alcohol, bourbon, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, our next question is from John. I think I have a power supply issue, but I'm not 100% sure. The power coming into the board is reading 5 volts, but I'm seeing a lot of sweeping interference on the monitor and at times the game will sporadically reset during a track mode. Well, John hasn't told us what game he's talking about, but this this is going to apply to uh, to any game out there, really. So the the five volts five volts on on any of these older games five volts is the the main supply for all the logic in the games. You'll have others. You'll sometimes have a negative five volts, sometimes a positive twelve volts, but the five volts is the primary supply for everything. So he's seeing a lot of sweeping interference on the monitor, and at times the game will reset. So the interference on the monitor. So what, what's the first thing you th- when when you see in, hear the word interference? <laughs> what's the first thing you think of? Well, normally I, the first thing I think of when I hear interference on a monitor, I think there's a ground loop or something, or there's an incorrect ground supplying the video here but since the the game keeps uh resetting during a track mode a couple things go through my my mind uh he didn't say whether this is a an older game or a newer game or if it has a switch mode power supply or if it's the old analog power supply uh i tend to go with if it's an old analog power supply there's a very good chance that the main filter cap uh has aged uh, expelled its electrolyte all over the place, somewhere, <laughs> anywhere, or maybe even not. Sometimes they just vent and dry out, and that's that. Uh, there might be some AC ripple riding right. on that 5-volt uh, supply. So if you were using your digital voltmeter and reading that, it would look like a solid 5 volts when you have it set in DC mode, but it won't necessarily show you any deviation from that that's happening on a regular basis like say 60 hertz line voltage or line frequency um, coming through that should be filtered out but isn't Um, i think a quick way you can check for ripple is if you set your voltmeter to ac and you're testing a 5 volt dc supply if you are reading any kind of significant amount of voltage and i would say significant is going to be like 0.1 volts i would say so right um that's a good indication that you've got excessive ac ripple on your dc power supply uh if it's a newer game well i i can only imagine the worst that something is going on with your switch mode power supply and and my suggestion is just to swap it out with a new one they're they're pretty cheap right yeah your your starting point is always making sure that your power supply is good that's that's the heart of of it all if, if it's not working properly you're going to have other problems they and you know speaking of the you, you mentioned the the capacitor you know any any of the older atari games they're notorious, notorious. for having a bad 
Big blue. Big the big blue, not the to big be, blue, not the cabinet, not, not not to be confused with the giant IBM computer <laughs> or that. <laughs> it is a, a rather large blue capacitor that's clamped into the bottom of the power brick at the bottom of the game. Uh, In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you have an older an eighties Atari game, whether you think you need it or not, get a get a new big blue. Put it in there. It's they're not that expensive. I think Bob Roberts has has a good price on them. Yeah, I'm not sure what the price is, but it's it's some uh, peace of mind moving forward for as long as you own the game. Uh, if it's the original cap, there's a very very good chance that it is not in service anymore. Okay. All right. So let's see. Our next question is from Chuck. I have an upright Pac-Man game, and it's a 60 in one game. I can turn it on and play when the sc- and the screen will flicker. It will then either start initializing again or the screen will turn white. When this happens, it appears that the game is not functional at all. Also, I've tested the power supply and it tests good for 12 volts, minus 5 volts, plus 5 volts before it has the issue and during the time it's having the issue. Please help. What do you got to say about that, Eric? Okay, so what Chuck has is a Pac-Man cabinet that has been upgraded. <laughs> upgraded, You right? say upgraded, I say converted. <laughs> it has been converted <laughs> to a 60-in-1 game, which is a, a small standalone JAMA board with... It, it looks like he's using the still using the original CRT monitor on it, but he's having some problems when it, it, it will either start uh, reinitializing uh, which on the the sixty and one boards it starts kind of counting upwards to let you know that it's it's uh it's booting up uh, or the screen will turn white. So the first thing you know there's really not much to this setup. Uh, when on these sixty and one games, you really only have three components. You have a power supply, which is going to be a newer switch mode power supply. You're not gonna be, he's not going to be using the original linear power supply in it. Uh, so it will have a newer switch mode power supply. Right, exactly. Those Pac-Man games actually had their power supplies on the game board as opposed to a separate power supply board. So it definitely will be a switch mode power supply. So, so pretty much this game has probably been gutted. <laughs> and uh, a yes. new power supply, a JAMA harness. Of course, the back then, back in Pac-Man days, <laughs> they didn't know what JAMA was, right? Not at all. <laughs> so, Did not come into existence until much later. So there will be a new harness in it, the game board, and a monitor. Now we don't know if he has a new LCD, mon- a newer LCD monitor, or the original CRT monitor. Uh, so, but the, the thing is, this is kind of a this is a rather simple setup. Now I don't know if Chuck has any other games, but what's nice about JAMA, since this is going to be a JAMA harness, you can easily substitute another JAMA game board in it to see if it works you know it doesn't matter that doesn't have enough buttons you'll know that it's booting properly and that your power supply is good and on that same note you you do want to know that your power supply is good now he does mention that he tested at the power supply and it tests good for the three main voltages the 12 volts plus five negative five you know i i personally i like i I like testing it right there at the Jamma at the Jamma edge connector just to make sure that you know the the crimps are good the wirings you know everything is is good on it absolutely it's great practice uh best practice to actually test at one of the chips 
on the board, although you can't really do that with a 61 oh, no, board anymore, it's, can you? It's, I think it's all surface metal. I'm old that. school, so yeah, he's, Eric is absolutely right. You're testing it right at the connector. But that's, that's going to be the easiest way to troubleshoot that. Like I said, very few components in that. Uh, those boards, you know, whether you like those boards or not, whether you see that as an abomination of, <laughs> or, or however you view these boards, they're pretty stable. They're 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 they rarely break. They are they are they're they are stable, but when they do break, there really isn't any fixing them. No, no, they're not very user serviceable. So, you know, these switch mode power supplies typically of course the twelve volts and the negative five, they're they're set. You can't adjust that, but the five volts does you know they they usually have an adjustment for the five volts and I would take my meter Put it on the JAMA edge connector, and I'd adjust it for somewhere around 5.1. That's, you know, everybody kind of has their own, what right. they like. I like it to see about 5.1 at the board. Right. That's not, it's, it's not terrible practice. I think most logic will, will handle up to 5.25 volts, yeah. but it's, it's good to have that, that safety margin and have it down there. Uh, down 5.1 is fine. Perfectly okay. legal. Our next question is from Keith. Keith is trying to repair his Space Duel game. Worked fine when he first got it, but that was a long time ago. He's checked all the fuses, and he can see that they're all good. Plugging it in gives him a soft hum, which he thinks is the transformer. I can hear the soft static sound of the CRT coming on, but it never lights up, and I get no sounds. The boards have little red lights on them, and the start buttons and uh, coin slots light up. The marquee is dark. Let's okay. He goes into the fluorescent bulb, but let's let's focus on the uh, on the game itself. So a uh, couple of things. We'll, we'll we'll go back and forth on this, but for Atari games, you know, the 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 what, coin. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? What's that? What is that? I hear the, an echo from a show's past. <laughs> oh, I think it's a big blue. Big blue is back. <laughs> right. Exactly. So old Atari game. Yeah. That that you know. Once again, nothing in that CPU board is going to be happy unless it has good quality voltage coming nice in. Nice, stable 5 volts, <laughs> and you won't get that if you don't have a good big blue. But a couple of things he said. Now, he, he mentions the lights in the, in the coin slots. That Unfortunately, that really doesn't mean anything. That's coming straight off the power supply. But the, the, player, the buttons for the Player 1 and Player 2 on the older Atari games... When you boot the game up, those lights, the little red LEDs light up, and as soon as the CPU starts running and is running the game code, they go back out. So what you want to see is, is it would be the lights not lit. Not lit. That would be a good sign. So we're, we're having a problem with the game board. Um, and we can't really say if the monitor is working properly until we know that the game game board is working properly. Uh, it's good that he's getting kind of the high voltage hiss when it when it first boot the static sound. Right. Uh, but the game board is is not booting. So just as Chris said, we need to make sure first that we have good 
voltages, well, good, good voltages, good and the good stable thing, voltages. Yeah, the good thing about these Atari games is if you look on the game boards themselves, they've actually got very clearly marked lows, very well labeled uh, for ground plus five volts. All of the operating voltages that those uh, vector games require, plus and minus twenty two volts, plus and minus fifteen volts, uh, all of those odd voltages that those those vector games require, uh, you should be able to easily test those on the board and make sure that you're getting great power. Right. So we we really want to check that first. We can't get too more. We can't get very uh, involved in this until we know that the voltages are correct. Um, so that would that would be where you would start. So let's. Uh. Well, we touched a little bit on the marquee being dark. Uh, I think it's a it's an unrelated problem, um, but uh, he goes on to say that the fluorescent bulb is locked into place, and I've never he'd never seen that before. Uh, there's a cardboard something on each end preventing me from turning the bulb and removing it. Have you ever seen this? Yes, we have. <laughs> uh, I also removed the starter and tested it for continuity. I don't know if that should work, but it didn't. I'd love to know how to remove the bulb. I just don't want to break anything. Other thoughts would be welcome. So, yeah, the, some of those games, they actually ship with little cardboard tabs that just kind of lock them in. They should pull straight out uh, from, the, from the top of the game, if I remember correctly, and then you should be able to, to twist out the bulb and, and change that out. Um, there's two schools of thoughts on marquee lights. Uh, fixing them slash replacing them, you're going to almost get better results by going to one of the better home home improvement stores and <laughs> looking for uh, under cabinet LED uh, lighting, uh, accent lighting. Uh, it, it, it takes 120 volts directly. Uh, the color rend- rendering on them is, is fairly good, and uh, there's no fluorescent lights that you have to break. And you get right. pretty good results with and that. And it will probably never quit working ever in your life. Ever. The game will break before the light breaks. <laughs> but, you know, if you do want that fluorescent look to it, there, there, gets, there comes a point where it may just be easier to replace the entire fixture Correct. Than, than to to replace the tran- the the start the 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 starter the transformer slash ballast the the not only the light bulb but you also have to con- you know think about the connectors for the the prongs on the you know I, I've right. seen them all go bad yeah I want to say you can probably pick up a complete uh, um, fluorescent fixture that's roughly the same size for maybe five dollars less than what you'll get the LED strip for. Um, and it'll come with a newer electronic ballast. Uh, choice is up to you. I've, I've actually, I've actually used both. I prefer the LEDs. I really can't tell the difference looking at them. So, unless you're really going for original, go get that LED strip. It's totally worth it. And you know, I I put the LED strips in one of my games, and not only the LED strips, but I put a dimmer in it. And sometimes I. I with the with a darker room, I like to uh, to turn it down some. So when you're sitting at the game, if you're, you know, or, or it's it's not that that bright light isn't you know right in your face, and you, you I can just reach in the coin door and and Very adjust nice. it down a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. All right, got a question from Brandon. 
Hey guys, I'm a newbie to the arcade game repair stuff. I just bought a Donkey Kong from 1981 in great shape. The monitor is bright and sharp. The problem is it plays for 15 to 20 minutes, then scrambles. I've checked all the connections. I've played with the vertical and horizontal holds, but that's not the issue. Any ideas? Hmm. Okay, well, he says it scrambles, so we're going to have to kind of guess at what type of scrambling he's, he's talking about. But uh, those those Nintendo monitors, the uh, the uh, what? If, oh, the they're 20, the Sanyo, Sanyo twenty EZs. Right, I have uh, seen quite a few of those that you know you you get kind of a di- uh, diagonal, you know, like a sink issue, like a and and you go in there. And I know he said he adjusted it, but but you know the first thing I would do is go in there to those. Uh, the, the same ones he adjusted and turned them back and forth quite a few times. You know, make sure, you know, these, these potentiometers, when they, when they get old, they just don't work quite as well. So Absolutely. They, that, and I have fixed several of those Nintendo games by doing exactly that. But let's say that that's not the problem. Uh, so what what do you think? now well if you start having you know operational issues like this it might be it might be bright and sharp that's a a very positive sign uh that you know maybe the picture tube wasn't turned on or used for a long period of time but that has no effect whatsoever on capacitors aging right uh time is their enemy uh heat is their enemy and and typically if if the monitor was turned on for a long period of time the capacitors will will uh, come to their their life ends sooner, but still sitting there, If it, even sitting in a warehouse, if it had never been turned on, brand new in the box, chances are pretty good that that monitor is going to need a cap kit done on it. Right, right. So I, I would, even though you've already adjusted the the uh, horizontal and vertical hold on it, do it again. Just, just, just to you know, get 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 your buddy on the other side of it, and you know, go from one end to the other. Just make sure it's been you, know, you wipe it back and forth a few times. You know, go to one end and the other. Try that, and then you know what? Let's let's do a cap kit on it. Absolutely. Okay. The next question is from Lou. My brother just bought a golden tea complete. And I noticed that the wording on the screen has a blue shadow to the right of the letters, along with a blue-like shadow on the right side of the golfer from the knees down. I tried adjusting the colors with no help. I was wondering if I should try the convergence rings. I noticed that the rings had already been hot glued in place. Wonder if they could still be out of alignment. Any ideas? Well, first of all, whoa, <laughs> whoa, Nelly, whoa on the convergence rings. Don't right. touch the convergence rings unless you are in for a world of hurt. So he he said something here that as soon as you hear this, you kind of know what's going on. The blue shadow to the right of the letters. So on the back of the, uh, on all of these monitors, on what they call the neck board, which is the the smaller board on the back of the deck, uh, you have adjustments for red, green, and blue. You uh, You have bias adjustments and drive adjustments. Now... I don't know if at this point we're going to go too far into what the two what the the difference is between them. What what I would suggest you do is read this because it gets a, a little bit in depth about how to adjust these. They if you get a, uh, uh, I believe that's in the that's in the Wells Gardner. Manual, I believe right? I know for sure it's in the Wells Gardner twenty seven hundred series. 
manual, some step-by-step on how to adjust these. And it's right around the section that talks about adjusting the conversion rings. Skip that step. (laughs) Go right to uh, adjusting the white balance section. So basically, if you have the drive, if you have, if, if, if some of those are turned up too much, which for whichever color, it will do exactly that. It will cause kind of a bleed over, I guess would be another way to describe it. Uh, it's an overdrive. Yeah, here, and, and it's just like, just like he says, it's like a shadow of, of whatever color to the side of it. And this is an easy remedy, you know, just, just to adjust. And you know what? Even, even if you don't read that whole document, you can still, you can find the, the blue drive and the blue bias. You're, you're, you're not going to damage anything. You can, you can start turning them down and get it to an acceptable, and you'll, you'll lose that shadow. Indeed. Indeed. Well, excellent. Well, our next question is from Ted. I just got a multi-game 16-1 arcade. It has a tube monitor. Good for you, Ted. A JAMA board and a power supply. When I first plug it in, I see a horizontal line for several minutes. I've got to unplug it two or three more times before the game starts up. Any ideas? Well, when he says unplug it, I'm, I'm assuming he means the entire the, the power cord and not the, the JAMA harness. So this this kind of goes back to the to the previous one of the previous questions where we're troubleshooting a sixty and one board. Once again, there's there's only you know only a handful of components in there. We've got a power supply, a harness, a JAMA board, and a monitor. So what would be helpful here is to determine if we have a problem with the monitor or the rest of the system. So it once you've given it the game enough time to boot give it a good minute 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 and a half or so start you know if the uh start a game you know hit that hit keep hitting that one player start i think you have to hit it once to select the game or maybe twice and then another time to stay hit it just keep hitting keep hitting it right fine do you do you hear the sounds (laughs) when when you hear the sounds if you move the joystick do you hear you know the corresponding you know that that will let you know if you've got uh a problem with the game board itself or if the problem was was with the monitor. Now, we don't know which monitor you have, it's just that it's a tube monitor. So, I don't know how far we can get into diagnosing the the, the monitor, but of course you can take your voltmeter and see if you have the the proper uh, well, uh no, it's not going to be a voltage problem, is it? Cuz he has sees a horizontal line. Yeah. So, I think it's a fairly uh common problem. Uh, most, a lot of sites will have uh, uh, advice for you. It's called vertical collapse. Uh, the monitor will keep running and actually light up the picture tube because the horizontal circuits are still working. It's generating high voltage. It's generating heater voltage. And there's enough uh, voltage coming off of that circuit to power the video circuits. So you'll you'll be able to see... Uh, either a white line or a, a line that's got some motion in it, and that's a good sign that you have vertical collapse. Uh, I believe that's either going to be, uh, it could be a drive transistor, it could be something as simple as, as a cap kit as well. Right. Uh, the, all of those oscillation circuits need good caps in them, and, and that's your first place to start. Uh, beyond that, you would start looking for you know semiconductors. Right, and you know, I, I think we'll we will probably start sounding like a broken record after a while. But you know, monitor problems, cap kits just fix 
so many of them. What do you mean we're going to sound like broken records? <laughs> what do you mean we're going to sound like broken records? <laughs> what? What do you mean we're going to sound like broken records? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you'll get used to us. <laughs> or or not. Or not. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Matt. I'm wondering if anyone can help. I'm looking for some help repairing my Mr. Do Arcade machine with a JAMA PC board. Any ideas? Okay. So it sounds like what Matt is asking is that it sounds like he has a Mr. Do and he wants to repair it using a JAMA PC board. Hmm. Um, and the only way I know that he can use a, uh, you know, the, Mr. Do is a, is a game from the, uh, I don't know, it's early eighties made from, by a company called universal. Mm-hmm. Most of them were conversion kits. Uh, not, not very often in the original universal universal being the brand mm-hmm. cabinet. Uh, most of them were, were conversion. So he wants to repair it with a JAMA PC board. Uh, I guess the, I think the six is the sixty one board. I think it has Mister Do. Mister Do was probably one of the one of the first. I wouldn't say it was one of the first emulated games uh, early on with Mame, and so it's translated well into these sixty one boards. It's actually not a bad emulation. Um, so yeah, if you were to lock a sixty one board down to that down to game, that. or I think even Mister um, Do's Castle might be on. I don't know if it's a both one button. I think both yeah. of them. One button. Okay, so, so it works. So how do you do that? Well, it's really a couple ways to attack it. Yeah, you you can uh, you can you, you would I guess you can you would start with just gutting the cabinet and starting fresh. You if, can yeah you're gonna you're going to need uh, well you probably should put a new switcher uh, switching power supply in there and right. it would make be really really easy to just get the JAMA harness and plug it into your monitor and off you go. And that'll work. Right. Or <laughs> you or, could go the long way and you could have an adapter built or build yourself an adapter that'll plug into the original oh, harness right. and convert the original harness to the JAMA pinout. Um, so if you want to keep... So. Right. So if you wanted to keep the game original. Now here's here's where it becomes <laughs> odd because Mr. Do was a conversion game or was Mostly more often than not a yes. conversion game. Yes. So... When you talk about original, what are you, what are right. you really saying? Are, are you, correct, right. Uh, are, are you converting a, a, a cabinet that's been hacked apart already, and would you be better off just putting a JAMA harness? Or are you dealing with one of the few, and maybe not so few, original, truly original universal cabinets with the correct harness and pinout and everything is clean and just convert it so you can swap it back to an and, original. And Mr. those Do. universal cabinets look great. Keep, so, so if you've got they're, that, keep it original. They're a classic. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you can you hear the uh, the air facetiousness in my voice? Uh, you know, I like those cabinets though. <laughs> okay, Rick. <laughs> Enough out of you. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll just move on to the next one then. <laughs> All right, this next question is from SC. Does replacing the plug hurt the value of the machine? What if you used another cord from a busted machine on a good machine? Would that be okay? I'm new to arcade stuff. Uh, You know, that's the one piece of a game that I think no one (laughs) would care about, right? You could could have the, the blades bent on it and the ground broken off, and I don't think... 
that's the last thing anybody. No, looks it's not at. gonna. It will. <laughs> it will not affect the value of the game. Now, uh, as as far as replacing it, I'll tell you what I do. I I buy cords from Marco Specialties. They're you know they're they're primarily a pinball machine supply house, but they have and I think they're fifteen foot cords, very very high quality cords. Of course, you 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 have to get the grounded plug and you know what even if i get a game that has a non-spliced great looking cord if the ground pin is broken off of it i'll immediately replace it yeah uh you know just just for for safety you really need it for safety you do um and then of course uh the other the opposite the flip side of the coin is if you're buying a machine and you see that somebody has replace the power cord with you know a cut off brown extension cord lamp plug, cord a lamp cord <laughs> you're probably going to end up looking at that machine a little more closely for hacking and what that, else have they done what else have machine? they done and how much are you going to uh reduce the price of that offer <laughs> instead so. of electrical tape it's duct tape <laughs> right. maybe even scotch tape scotch tape oh we've all Band-Aid. been there <laughs> <laughs> not that we've seen that <laughs> okay our next question is from micah 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 has a gauntlet legends dedicated arcade machine it's been working well but now in the past month or so the screen will suddenly get brighter on its own as though the brightness on the flyback was suddenly turned up high, and then it may suddenly flicker dimmer and then bright again. This is very annoying when the game when it happens during the game. I've tried setting the brightness low, and it will sometimes flicker at any given time. So, okay, so basically what Micah is saying is that it just sporadically will get brighter. Uh, you can adjust it, but it's still up, down. And we're going to make an assumption here that it's the entire screen, not just one color, uh, but the entire screen is getting brighter and getting dim. So what do you think? Well, I right off the bat, I'm, I'm immediately thinking flyback. I think the flyback is, on that monitor is going bad or the brightness pot in that flyback, which is an, it's an integrated unit, so you really have to replace everything all at once. Right. Uh, you replace your flyback, and, and you should be good to go. Um, the voltages that come off of that flyback are all responsible for your brightness, your high voltage, everything. All of that stuff needs to be fairly stable uh, for your picture to stay at the same brightness. Right. And, you know, there really is, as far as the circuitry goes, there's nothing beyond the flyback, ex- you know, except for the tube. So from on the, on the chassis, on the, on the circuit board that, that runs everything, it it can only be the flyback. There's no component before that that could be causing the problem. Now, you know, we we talked to Chris. We talked about this a little bit before uh, before the recording. And one thing we didn't mention uh, is the possibility of any type of short in the in the grids. You know, the you've got the three grids on the on the tube. You know, I suppose that could be a possibility. These you know the tube rejuvenators can test for for short. So. It's possible that you could have a problem with the tube itself, where you have kind of a short that's uh, you know, coming and going away. Hmm. Okay. I, w- I would Good think point. I would think that it's it's going to be the the flyback uh, rather than the the tube. But if if you replace the flyback and it's still doing it, uh, you know, at that point, it you know the only thing remaining would be the tube. Yeah, absolutely. All right, our next question is from Eric. 
You wrote in a question, Eric? Oh, I'm very oh, sneaky like that. spelled differently with oh. an IK. All right, I had some horizontal pin cushioning, so I tried to adjust the horizontal width coil, but the top broke off of it. Looking at it, the screw adjust isn't actually connected to anything. It just seems like you're moving an iron core up and down. Still, I'm not sure if it'd be safe to turn it back on now. What do you think? Ah, uh, the... The horizontal width coil. So we've got quite a few things to talk about. <laughs> Those things this. are demons. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing is you are correct. It, that that centerpiece that you adjust is not. It's just moving up and down. It's it's going up and down the the core of th- that device. Is the width coil is an inductor, and what you're doing when you move that piece up and down is changing the inductance of it. To make the make the adjustments, so uh, so Chris, you were talking about this earlier. Tell, right tell us a little on. bit about what's what's inside that thing and what it's doing. Well, Eric mentions that you're moving an iron core up and down, uh, and and you are moving the slug up and down, but it's and it and it does have some iron in it, as I as I recall. But it's in fact not iron that you're moving. That that is a called that's called a ferrite core, and you may have heard heard the term ferrite. And what ferrite is is actually kind of an encapsulated iron that isn't conductive. So when it's being exposed to all of those frequencies, if you think about, say, in the kitchen, you've heard, if you've heard of induction cooktop, it's making magnetic lines cut across metal, and you'll get small little circular currents going on, and that'll make the metal heat up really, really fast. So it's really important when you're adjusting these, especially if the monitor's on, that you only use plastic adjustment tools. Uh, if you've ever had the bad fortune of trying to put in a metal Allen wrench into a monitor with coil while it's on, uh, you will... Uh, you will. Does, you will does bur- it get hot? You will burn your fingers. <laughs> it gets hot really rapidly. Uh, in addition, you, you may be the unfortunate soul who has the hot Allen wrench in there, and because it warms up, it expands, it may actually crack the ferrite core. But fortunately, there is many, many port part sources online where you can get so, replacement coils. Now, so. he, he mentions that he broke the top off of it. I don't know if he's talking about the plastic like that covers the top of the wire right. or, or how much of it broke, but just just as Chris said... They're readily available. You just need to know what type of monitor you have. Uh, they're not expensive. Uh, but, you know, key, key point here is you do need a plastic adjustment tool to adjust it. Now, he, he started adjusting this. He was trying to work with some pin cushioning. The, right. We don't know what game or what monitor this is. The earlier monitors, you know, your your main, your stables back in the day, your GO7, your 4600, your 4900, they did, uh, at least from memory, I don't think any of those had any type of pin cushion adjustment. The only the only monitors I've seen in the arcade industry that are tube-based that have any kind of pin cushion circuitry at all are 27-inch and up. Right. Later, later ones, and I think maybe some of the... Uh, the the HAP 19-inch monitors may have had that. I'm, mm-hmm. Oh, I've got, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But so uh, many monitors, so little time. The earlier ones, there there really is not an adjustment for pin cushioning. Pin cushioning wasn't really a big concern uh, for games. Um, it, it really wasn't. You could just you could you could adjust them out to the edges, and and you wouldn't really notice any kind of pin cushion distortion. 
on most games. So, you know, so... But, <laughs> so, so two questions remain. Can, uh, he wants to know if he can turn the monitor back on without damaging it. Yes, you can turn the yeah. monitor on without having that, that core in there at all. It's not going to hurt anything. You're just not going to be able to adjust the width. Right. Uh, and then the other question would be how to adjust the crushed-in picture. Well... Once again, are, are we talking about an older monitor? Let's let's uh, let's take this in two parts. Let's say it is an older monitor. You know, I'll be honest with you. I really haven't experienced pin cushing in an old monitor, or if if it is, it's not exaggerated. Oh, um, I think we all have, Eric. Have we? Then we have to call our old friend CapKit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not a predominant issue. It's not a pin, pin, proper pin cushioning is not a problem, but distorted horizontal uh, or vertical deflection that's that's a sign of a cap kit. Right, time for cap kit. Okay. Oh, and and if it's a if it's a newer monitor, they did start. You know, as we said earlier, sure. they started making adjustments for pin cushion on on the uh, on the newer monitors. Okay. Right. Is it my turn or your turn? Uh, it's your turn. All right. Read away. Now, now we have a question from Jose. Please help. I bought a Mario Brothers and the game works fine. The only problem is a white background with and rectangular blocks around words and sentences. What could this be? Ooh-wee. This sounds like board problems. We need to put an echo on that. Board problems, 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 problems. 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 So so this sounds like it's going to be somewhere on the board. It's going to deal with character character ROMs or, or, or the circuitry that interposes the character side onto the sprite side. Um, you might want to check your board. Bottom line, and the game works fine. The problem is, okay, so did it ever work properly? If you bought it and it just always did this, but the graphics look messed up, check out the board and see if there's a missing EEPROM somewhere. Uh, usually this will happen if the character EEPROM is not in the socket or, or not seated properly. Um, and, I could and see you that just happening. said seated properly. So one thing he can do is, you know, you, you may not know which EEPROM is the you know for the character the character EEPROM, but you know reseat all the EEPROMs. Right. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good start. Absolutely. But and of course- it, but this is a rather in depth uh, problem. So this is you know getting. Beyond this, it's if everything looks complete, if you've reseated all your all your EEPROMs, now you're talking getting into some serious board repair. Uh, if you're not comfortable, do it. I highly recommend sending it off to right. somebody who can do it. All right. All right. Next question from Lee. I've got a Miss Pac-Man, and one fuse was blown on incoming power, so I replaced it. When I hit the power button, I can hear voltage. And that's it. Nothing more happens. I've not checked anything yet. I thought I would ask someone who might point me where to go from here. I got the game from a man who said when they put it into storage, it worked. (laughs) Famous last words. (laughs) But the bottom will have to be replaced due to water damage. Of course, the bottom is where the power supply is bolted. There appears to be no apparent water damage anywhere else on the cabinet. Thanks in advance. Mm. What do you think, Eric? 
The old, it worked when I put it into storage routine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I do like that Lee can hear voltage. So that's... that's uh, I, and it sounds awesome. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, okay, of course, we're... Where you know Lee says that it was water damaged on the bottom, which is where the power supply is, and you know that's always where we start with problems, right? With uh, are we getting good power? Good. Seems power. like we've already said this that this episode. We right? did. I've forgotten. <laughs> so you know you can do the the simple checks. Um, you can uh, you, the, the fuse holders. Those were. Fuse holders on those games were yeah not all all that great you know check the you know make sure that the uh, there's no corrosion there on the you know if it got wet make sure there's no corrosion on the on the fuse holders but really what you need to do here is get a volt you need to get a meter a multimeter and start checking voltages you're going to have to break out that schematic check your voltages and that's that's going to be your starting point very true and don't forget even though if you 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 can pull those fuses out and it might look like the wire is crossing the two terminals but looks can be deceiving you definitely want to measure continuity between the two ends of the fuse just to make sure that they are good um and you know this this question started off with one fuse was blown well fuses don't blow for no reason there you know some something caused that fuse to blow so it it may be a little more in depth than just replacing the fuses or cleaning up the terminals or or what have you so you can you know you can also disconnect the, the those those namco those uh midway namco power supply boards would have you know the big molex connectors so you can you know, disconnect the game board side of it to make sure there's no load or nothing on the game board that can be shorting it before. Ah, uh, you- well, you're thinking about some of the later Namco games. Don't forget Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. They've got the DC power supply rectification, filtering, and regulation uh, all on the game board. You caught me. Ah, gotcha. So that's actually a good point, though. So the 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 power supply going to the game board is. Fairly simple to figure out. Beyond that, all the repairs are going to be done on the game board itself. Uh, but if you, you should, at the very least, be able to hear a, a tick in the speaker when you turn the power on as the 12 volts comes up. Um, there's, there's two notable capacitors on a Pac-Man or a Miss Pac-Man board. They look like big cans with pins on either end called axial capacitors. There's a large capacitor there you should be able to measure... Uh, about five volts across it and the other capacitor which is up near the edge connector along that same edge uh should have 12 volts across it so if you get a voltmeter check those out make sure both are there if you're missing one or both uh double check fuses on the bottom of the cabinet right so you know especially with it being well i'm not going to say submerged but being that it got wet uh, we're, we're, we want to make sure that power supply is in good condition before we even, I, you know, I would go so far as to say, leave the game board unplugged until we know we don't want to do any more damage to the game, you know, do any potential, leave the game board unplugged until we know that the power supply is in good shape. True. True. Um, yeah, I was going to say even a good point is it doesn't even have to be, 
down with the Titanic wet. <laughs> right. Once once the bottom of a game gets wet, the moisture wicks up into it, and inside the cabinet, that moisture will sit and start corroding things, and in the presence of electricity, will really corrode things. So, okay, all right. Okay, our next question is from SP. I believe it's pronounced Spa. Oh, sorry about that. Spa. Our next question is from Spa. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I used to play on arcade machines when I was a kid. Now I'm 30, and I'm about to buy two machines, a point-blank and a 40-in-one, 400-in-one. Ooh, that's a lot of games, isn't it? That's a lot of games. 400-in-one machine. I was wondering if you had any tips before I put my money down. Is it easy to change the pay-per-play from 30p to 50p and you know we had to do a little research on this one didn't we we didn't know what 30p and 50p was but it looks like it's pence right we could totally be wrong about that yeah we might be i'm gonna put my pants down on that pesos could be pence (laughs) yeah it could be yeah i don't know but best we could (laughs) tell was that it's pence as in english currency and uh so change basically how do you change how many uh, if if you need to use multiple coins? Like what we're assuming is that this is they use ten p coins, and you'd have to put in five of them versus three of them. Right. Uh, also, is there a way of changing the machine so it's lighter to move around, such as changing the screen to an LCD flat monitor? Um, so first thing, changing the denomination there so we're going to make an assumption that it, that what he mean what sp means spa. <laughs> is spa. is that it requires more coins like you know like us uh, here a lot of games are 50 50 cents to play two quarters so you have to put in two coins uh to to play it so so i guess what what he's talking about is is going from three coins to five coins so really all you're all you're talking about is how many credits to start the game, right? How many how many coin switch hits does it take to give you a credit? Right. Yep. So now now some games are going to be set up through the through the menu. Some of them will be set up through the dip switch settings. So now we didn't. I guess he's talking about both machines, both the four hundred and one. And the point blank. I believe you mm-hmm. looked up. What you looked I up did, the point I, blank. I right? looked up the point blank, but I just had an epiphany sitting here. So the point blank actually is set by using an on-screen diagnostics game settings administration menu. Um, but it's. I don't think it's going to be that different with the four hundred and one. I don't think there's really dip switches on those. It's also going to be menu based. I would think. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I'm not familiar with the four four hundred and one. The some of the uh, other emulation uh, Gemma boards are, you know, the, the smaller, smaller Gemma boards. You know, they're running, Lin- you know, this Linux-based uh, right. small board. Very little on the on the board itself, and and like you said, it's all menu-driven. Some of the larger ones, like uh, the uh, what, what are they? Uh, the Elf Blue Elf is that it? The- I have no <laughs> idea. I've never seen one. Sounds some, smurfalicious, though. <laughs> some of the some of those larger boards, or or uh, some of the boards that contain more games, are a larger board. They're actually a, a you know a computer motherboard that's ah. you know run you know it's still still all emulation, but it's but you know it's it's still going to be menu driven. Only really only when you're talking about the older games, the the eighties uh, era 
games are you would you ever be looking at the dip switch setting so right. it should be very easy to do on both of these uh the the older ones there's some really complex tables of how many how many coins you know some you know three coins for two credits and five coins for three you know some odd settings but i think this one's going to be very easy absolutely okay so the next thing he asks is is there a way to make the machine lighter, such as changing it to an LCD flat screen? So uh, one of these games is a shoot 'em up game. It's a gun game. The other one, the 401. So how, how, how about the shooting game? The shooting game. I'm going to say no. Those look to be uh, optical guns, and optical guns require uh, the scan lines to be generated over a timed uh in a timed way. The LCD screens aren't going to have that same kind of timing to give the game any any information as to where on the screen you're pointing the gun. Right. Uh, so you are, you are unfortunately, sir, going to have to stick with your monitor. Unfortunately or not unfortunately, as the case may be, <laughs> depending on uh, which side of the uh, the camp you sit. I personally like the look of, of curved monitors and CRTs right. over LCDs. Um, but... The 401, absolutely. There's probably right. direct support for VGA. And, is and a even if good there's not, so let's say your output is, is CGA resolution, the, you know, the standard resolution, mm-hmm. and you want to change that over to a, to a computer monitor, uh, which is VGA resolution. How, how would you go about doing that? Uh, actually, I use the same trick that I use on my bench. Is uh, I, they sell little converter boards on eBay that right. let you pump in that standard RGB uh, vertical sync, horizontal sync signal, and it outputs to a VGA monitor quite nicely. Right, and it's only I think they're only like about thirty dollars or so. The last I bought one, yeah, it was forty bucks, but I'm sure the price has come down. I'm sure there's some right. some other and people it's out a there. Very competing. small board. It's it's really easy to. Easy to hook up. It's uh, you know they they work well, so um, absolutely yeah. they're great. Okay, all right. Let's see. Our next question is from Figo, or is it Figo? Not sure where to start. I just picked up two games for a sweet deal: a Miss Pac-Man and a Galaga. That does sound like a sweet deal. Hope you got them for I don't know for how much. Uh, both <laughs> both screens come on and show somewhat of a picture, but that's about all. Galaga mostly shows the stars in the background and miss pac-man is just a blurry screen neither have sound what do you think about that eric it sounds like two very different issues two going completely on. different issues so i guess so let's start with galaga and you and i discussed this before uh, what he so we're going to kind of make take a stab at what he means by shows the stars in the in the background so when you play Galaga, you, you probably notice that in the background there are uh, stars that just scroll downward the the entire time you're playing, even when it's in attract mode, just constantly showing showing that. So, if that's what he is, what if that's what he's seeing, that means it you know the game is booting, monitor is good, but the game board itself has has some issues now. That's yeah. Those stars are actually generated by a custom chip right. on the board, so it sounds like it's getting a clock. It's generating the 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 synchronization signals. It's generating the stars. You're seeing that, but if it never kicks on the self test, it makes me wonder if the processors are even booting up. 
Mm, interesting. So, so, so perhaps that that Starfield generator may not be part of the processor driven. So the clock Correct. circuitry in it is probably working properly, but maybe maybe the processor is not booting. Uh, so I think a lot of us are familiar with how Galaga boots up. We've probably all seen that, how it shows all the random characters. And then at the very end, the, the explode, the spaceship explosion, right? And the so, upside down screen, the upside it tells down you screen. How, what your ROMs are and your RAMs are. <laughs> uh, so uh, it sounds like yeah. we're not getting any of that. So, yeah. so what do you, so what do we do when the game board itself is not working? It sounds like the monitor is in good condition, power supplies, Probably in good condition. Probably in good condition. Um, because I, I don't, I don't think he would get the stars if the if the five volts was the not. Five volts is going to be there. I'm trying to remember if the reset signal is somehow tied into another voltage um, to monitor it in, in much the same way that, for example, Atari. Atari vector games are going to look at the 10 volts as well as the 5 volt input uh, to make sure that it, that both are there before it releases the reset line. Um, so so now why not? You, you bought these machines. Maybe somebody stole the processors off the board. Oh, uh, that's a that's a good thought. Are 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 all of the there's three Z80 processors on there? I believe. Uh, make sure that they're all there. All three are required for that game to boot. Okay, so now we're we're at a point where are you comfortable working on the on the boards or not? Now, here's what I have seen. Galaga boards on eBay are not terribly expensive. They're they're not. If and actually and, and if you're not skilled in working on Galaga boards, they they can be really finicky because they've got some delicate resistor packs on the board. Uh, if they're the original resistor packs, one little bump, and all of a sudden you've got other problems. Um, but I think a, a, a quick visual check, if you pull the board out of its holder, and if you look for any of the 40-pin sockets uh, and they're missing chips, uh, actually, if any of the sockets on that board are missing chips, I don't think they populated those boards with sockets and no chips anywhere. Right. So that's a that's a good visual check just to make sure everything you've, you've got is in place. And if, if so, that's a great idea go out on ebay and, and fetch yourself a, a and, set and that works. board just is just like many all the other namco games from that era have the namco custom chips on it yes and you know it, i don't know what it is about those chips but the legs on those namco <laughs> custom chips just don't hold up they and don't I've, I've seen many of those board sets you know pac-man miss pac-man galaga or pole position all of that the you'll see a, a a leg just missing from one yeah. of those custom chips and uh they've evaporated into thin air <laughs> literally okay <laughs> so once so once again uh sounds like the monitor is is good power supply is likely good but you still want to go in there and check all your voltages get get your schematic check your voltages on that but uh if, if all if the voltages are good you know it's time to either repair or replace the the game board itself and uh, like I said, they, they, th- that game was so popular, those boards are readily available. Absolutely. Okay, so the other one he has is Miss Pac-Man with a blurry screen. Are you sure she's just not drunk? <laughs> well. <laughs> are you sure you're not drunk when you're looking at the screen? Uh, <laughs> okay, so. Take it away, Eric. <laughs> So what we want to establish here is is the game playing and the 
the monitor just has a problem where the focus is is not working properly so so what I would do with this one is see if it's okay we can't really say playing blind because we do have something on the screen even though it's very blurry but what I would do and oh he I'm sorry he does mention that neither have sound but you you know are we seeing motion on the screen even though it's blurry can we see motion on the screen Right. Um, you know, if if it is like you know, coin it up, play a game, start and see if it, it, if the screen seems to be reacting to the uh, to what you're doing. The uh, the the flyback, you know, if your flyback is bad, if it's not, if it's uh, you know, semi working where you have uh, where you you have horizontal sync and it's it's doing giving you raster, but it's not giving you high voltage, you will get a very very blurry screen. So it's it's just so hopefully ideally. It's it's just a monitor problem. Mm-hmm. So if if you see if you notice that you're seeing the motion of the game and everything's everything's working, you know it's it's responding. Then we can at least say, hey, it's a, it's a monitor problem. Let's let's address it there. So we we have to start with determining where where the problem is. Right. Uh, any any more thoughts on that? Anything? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe I was asleep. I wanted to make sure. Did we tell them to adjust the focus? There are a couple. <laughs> oh, of that's a, on that. Yeah, product. you know, just start with um, the simple. simple start with things. the simple, and and sometimes um, uh, something like that. Maybe maybe the person that owned them before, uh, especially if the Galaga was owned by them and chips are missing, that they just they were messing with the controls in the back. Uh, adjust that focus if you can't get it stable. That's when it's time to look at replacing the flyback. That's when it's time to start looking at a cap kit, things of that nature. But yes, um, even if uh, even if you put Miss Pac-Man in in test mode and you're activating things like the buttons on the control panel, you should at least hear a little sound. Uh, there's a volume pod, I believe, right inside the coin door for oh. Miss Pac-Man. Oh, to adjust the volume. I'm, um, I'm trying to remember if it's on the board or on the uh, yeah. On the- um, it could be on the board as well. I, I my 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 mind fails me. My apologies. <laughs> well, but yes. Before before you start addressing the sound issue, you know we want to start with a, at least a clear screen on it. So that will that will point you in the direction of is it a monitor or is it a game board? Yes. Hopefully, it's the monitor. The monitor will be easier to fix, in my opinion, right? Than than the game board itself. Right. But you know we go back to the to the what we were, what we were saying earlier that you know Miss Pac-Man was very common so no problem picking up a game board if that's the uh, absolutely yeah lots of working boards out there uh, and again Galaga won't have sound if it won't boot the processor it just won't produce anything for you there okay our next question is from Daryl hey guys on a Super Sprint arcade machine with three steering wheels we attempted to repair one wheel a few years ago but it's not fluid anymore I need to repair a second steering wheel but can't find any website to find parts or suggestions do you guys have any ideas hmm. well Super Sprint Atari older uh, older Atari game and he Daryl says that it's not fluid anymore what we're going to assume here is that the physical part of the steering wheel is maybe it's 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 not as easy to turn or what you know those super sprints all those Atari games pole position driving games they yes you turn that steering wheel and it turns for yeah. days oh yeah yeah <laughs> unless of course things aren't good and then they'll either bind up or they'll just be loose or, or they won't feel right 
Well, all of the Atari driving games of, of, of that era had a nylon bushing in it. Right. So no no fancy uh, no fancy ball bearing or anything like just just a just a nylon bushing in it. So so that's you know that's that's good. You know, of course, if you can if you can find it, right? <laughs> but uh, do you have the? Did you notate the website that we I found? I did. We went around and looked, and and uh, there's a website called arcadefixit.com, and it looks like they uh, uh, will offer a selection of different bushings and encoder wheels and other parts for those steering games. Right, and if. What he means by this is that the steering wheel spins freely, but on gameplay it's it's sporadic, jumpy, glitchy. Uh, you know, all of these Atari st- uh, driving games were optically encoded, uh, kind of like the old original computer mouse, where you have a, a wheel on it with an infrared LED emitter and detector, actually a pair of them. Right. Uh, to and you know so so. If if the problem is that the wheel spins freely, but the it's jumpy on the screen, then you know break break it get in get into that assembly. First thing is do do the easy easy thing, clean the emitter and detector. Even a can of compressed air will give you a little, a little hope if you shoot it into the right spot on those encoder boards. Right, and if it's working at all, you know they're they're the emitter and detector are probably working. Fine, they're they're probably just a little dirty. Right, right. Yes, if if you if you only have one emitter detector pair that works, it's not going to produce any movement on the on the screen at all. Okay, if you rotate it. So there you go. All right, let's move on to the next one. All right, and our next question is from Donald. I just bought a CRT four seventy tester rejuvenator on eBay. Wouldn't you know it? The number four adapter is missing out of the set. I have others, or he has all the others. Would you have a guess as to where I might find that particular adapter? Any suggestions would help. Also, what are the required items needed to test read and write to ROM, EPROMs, etc. from a Windows desktop? I have a duplicator, and I ordered a UV eraser. Now I need something to read, copy, rewrite the ROMs that I have. Uh... That, that's his question. Okay. So what do we got so, going on there? He says... You've got more experience with these rejuvenators <laughs> than I do. Okay, so he has a CRT-470. So uh, what, he's, what he's talking about is a, uh, uh, an old, it's an old piece of test equipment, BNK, BK Precision, or BNK Precision, uh, rejuvenate, tube rejuvenator. Uh, I, I have a... A few of these actually. I have a four, a two four sixty fives, and I think one other one. Uh, so the the <laughs> purpose of these devices is is kind of twofold. They can test your CRT to see if it's if there are any shorts between the grids, between the grids and the, and the uh, basically all the pins that are on it to, to make sure that it's in you know that part of it is in good condition. Then it can rejuvenate the tube if if the colors if a particular color or all of them is is rather dim it goes through this process where it takes the uh the heater and bumps the voltage up where it gets unusually hot to try to uh you know what i'm not going to go into too too much detail about what it does but the bottom line (laughs) is it tries to get you a little bit of extra life 
uh, from your from your from your tube from your CRT tube. So, and when he speaks of adapters, all these tubes back in the day had different a different connector on the back of mm-hmm. it. Well, all the arcade machines uh, like the uh, Geo Seven, the forty six hundred, the forty nine hundred, the the you know those were the, those are the classic nineteen inch tubes, right? They they all had the same adapter. So there's really only a few adapters that you would be using with this now. I, I think uh, you know if memory serves me correct. It's either a number twenty one or twenty three that's the common uh, common adapter. Uh, and I I actually had to make one for mine. Didn't have to make one, but I didn't want <laughs> want to wait to find one, so I made one out of an old neck board. But we did a little checking, and eBay had plenty of these adapters on it. The adapter numbers are start with C R. So if you look for a CR number four, I think we actually found one, didn't we? We found several. Actually, there's a couple of sellers on eBay that not only can you buy them, I think they're about $20 a piece, but there's a little drop-down selector that lets you select which adapter you're going to buy. So they're, they are readily available on, on eBay, uh, or at least when we looked, they were. But, yes. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've looked before, and they, they were always on there. Yeah, so. when you're listening to our show 20 years from now, <laughs> and you will, <laughs> those sellers might not be around, so please just make a note of that. <laughs> okay. So now he asks about e- burning EPROMs. He has a duplicator, which is a it's, it's a standalone unit. Those are pretty much standalone appliances that you put in a, a master EPROM and then load up a whole bunch of other zip sockets with blanks and right. push so the button and poof. Back in the day when they were duplicated. churning out these games, yes. that's what the manufacturer would have used. Yes. They would have uh, been making as many of these EPROMs as they could in as short of an amount of time as they could. But now that's not, that's not how you would do it. You need to, you need particular ones. You need to burn from uh, that. You're going to have an image on your computer. So we, you, you and I both have EPROM burners. We uh, do have EPROM burners. I've got experience with several. Um, there's a couple of different manufacturers out there and, and I have read around a lot of, hobbyists like the Needham mm-hmm. uh, units. I don't know. Is Needham even in business anymore? Well, uh, they're all over eBay. So uh, yeah. e- even if they're not in business, it's they're easy, easy. Even to get. they're not. So I, uh, and, and some of those uh, work off of parallel ports, uh, given the state of the parallel port in the PC world, I would highly recommend spending a little bit more money and getting something USB based. Um, whatever you buy, make sure that there's, OS support for the software that it takes to run the thing. Uh, a lot of the older ones, they stop support back on Windows XP. If you've got a Windows XP machine around, good for you, bad for you. It's a total security risk. <laughs> I, I wish you well, but uh, you know, sometimes you've got to run what you've got to run uh, to make those work. Uh, and, and for anything other than the most basic of EEPROM tasks, any of those will, will do. Right. So, you know, I, I think the price point now, you can get a decent one for in the $100 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think you and I might even have the same one. I've got the uh, EE Tools Chipmax 2. That's the one I got. That's the one you have, which which is a little bit more as in, I think those are, are around 500 but they, Five to $600, yes. Yeah, they, they're, they are USB, really nice interface, do a, do a, you know, have a, they do a lot of different 
a lot chips. of devices, they actually will update the software on a fairly regular basis if there is a new device that you need to program for whatever reason. Um, I have it for my micro, uh, microcontroller hobbies. So um, it's useful there. Uh, but for just the general arcade stuff, you're really going to be dealing with EEPROMs, not right. a whole lot more. Right. The $100 one is, is going to be is fine. more than enough. Now... He, he, he speaks of ROMs, EPROMs, etc. So first, first thing to say here is you're only going to be able to burn EPROMs. There are, there are things called masked ROMs. If they don't have the little window on them, you can't burn them. Right. That's, that's, that's the simplest way to say it. There are, right. And plus, wait, there's also uh, devices called PROMs, like the color PROMs or the, you know, the... Correct. Uh, and you're not going to be able to burn those. There are not devi- with an EEPROM burner. Not, not with an entry-level EEPROM right. burner. There are some expensive ones that will allow you to do that. Not the masked ROMs, but the... The, 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 prom. the Fuse Link PROMs. Fuse, right, the Fusible mm-hmm. Link PROM. Uh, but that doesn't really come up very much. You know, it's been, it has been my experience that those proms rarely go bad. You might, you might have a disintegrated leg on it, but as far as it retaining its original content, they're, they're, they're very stable. Right. I would make a suggestion that it, while it's nice to be able to burn your own proms, if you happen to be an op or somebody who does this in high volume, uh, for the general hobbyist who has an occasional need, if you have an EEPROM uh, burner, which can also read your EEPROMs, there are adapters available where you can plug in those little uh, PROM chips into a little adapter and put it in your EEPROM burner and read it off and verify that the contents on it are correct. And if they're not and you need a replacement, there's burning services out there. Uh, most anybody who sells those chips will burn it for a fee with a file that you specify. Right. Oh, and, you know, you touched on something just there. Any EEPROM burner can read EEPROMs. So if, you're, if you think that maybe the EEPROM in your game, one of the EEPROMs in your game is, is no good, you can read it with the burner. And you can, you can, uh, you can compare it to a known good one, which you can get from from MAME. Most any source. <laughs> from from all over the internet. <laughs> yes. Okay. Next question is from Duo. Hmm. Any tips on swapping in an LED strip that works good as a replacement for the fluorescent light in an arcade cabinet? Do you just hook up the strip to the power supply? Thanks. What do you think? Well, I just did that in my Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. Uh, those wonderful... Uh, 100-volt fixtures that you uh. can't get a replacement for. The, uh, believe it or not, the the under-counter, again, I think we touched on this on an earlier question, the under-counter LED strips uh, come in white be- behind a marquee. You're not going to notice a whole lot of difference between the soft white or the cool white ones. Um, and simply mounting that with a couple of L brackets uh, works wonderfully and it, it will plug right into the the 110 or 120 volt supply um without any real modification right so instead of trying to go to the power supply instead of trying to find the 12 volt line or the 5 volt right. line or any of that the fluorescent fixture is already going to have 120 volts unless it's an, in a uh, nintendo cabinet which will be 100 100 volts 100 volts and they play and those they'll, under they'll, cabinet ones play well you don't need do to fine convert with 100 volts exactly so that way you just tap into the existing wiring that's already there and you're done it's this is a 
Easy peasy. This is an easy one. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Well, our next question is from Adam. I recently bought an arcade game in 19, from 1988 called Cabal. Or is it Cabal? Uh, <laughs> you say tomato, I'll say tomato. <laughs> and the marquee light isn't working. I replaced the bulb, and it still didn't work. I replaced the starter, and still nothing. So I replaced the ballast, and still got nothing. I tried checking all the connections, and they look fine. What could be the problem? Also, my game counter is stuck and won't tick when a credit is added. Any tips on how to fix that? Sounds like a two-part question here. Right. And you you know, <laughs> we may we may go back to your previous answer for the first part. So, you know, as far as a fluorescent, if you want to stay with the original fluorescent light, there's really only three parts to the fluorescent light. There's the the, the starter, which is the little uh, bayonet style cylindrical device that plugs into it that you can easily pick up from a from a home depot mm-hmm. um, and the bulb and the ballast or transformer right uh, well i guess you could say there's four parts there's also the connector that holds the the, the, <laughs> the, the bulb in and i i only say that because i've had bad connectors for you know everything was new new parts uh and the bulb wouldn't come on and it was just kind of corroded on those on those connectors so good point on you know that as well. actually that may be applicable to this question as well so you know he's already so so he's already replaced the bulb and the starter so and the bat and the ballast and the ballast so he has all three components all three components you know <laughs> you know sometimes you may there may be a time to just step back and and start over right <laughs> well there there's those times for sure sometimes um especially and i think i think given that this person has replaced one component at a time i've seen it where i've replaced a starter but the ballast was bad so it made the bulb fry but um or any other combination there where it actually made the bulb bad, but it doesn't sound like this is going on. It sounds like it's not firing up at all. So the obvious question is, did he test for voltage? Right, exactly. Get that meter out. What, you know, of course you only, and test test the input voltage. That, and of course that's going to be your, uh, assuming you're in the U.S., that's going to be your 100, 120 volt AC coming in. Do you have that? Yep. Actually, it begs a question. So, Generally, would they power those fluorescent fixtures off of the isolation transformer, which will always put out 100, 120 uh, volts? I think the fluorescent. I think the lights are typically before the ice. I think all the cabinets I've seen are the lights are before the hmm. isolation transformer. Check the rating on your. Uh, <laughs> definitely check the rating on your fluorescent fixture and and see if you're actually getting 120 volts. Or 240 volts at your fixture. I think if you're getting any kind of volts, you should be in good shape. You know, and, and fluorescent <laughs> fixtures, they they seem to handle pretty wide. Okay, here's what I mean by this. I had a Donkey Kong, that, which is, you know, 100 volt mm-hmm. uh, after... Uh, oh, you know what? You know what that just what I just said? Mm. It was 100 volts, so that has to be after, after the isolation transfer. So I have to retract what I said. Powered previously. by the isolation. Now, I seem to remember some of the uh, like Sega Astro Blasters specifically. The fluorescent fixtures are driven by 
the isolation. But that's they, and Eric makes a good point. That may not necessarily be true. And you never know what somebody before you that's gotten right. hold of the cabinet has done. So you don't know that count is a on that. Chris. That is a very good point um, in arcade repair. What you just said. <laughs> you never trust. You never know what the person before you did to yes. the machine. But what I was going to say about the the Nintendo cabinet is 100 volts going into a new 120 volt fixture worked fine for me. Ah. so there you know there's there's a. Uh, there's a good bit of leeway on the input voltage for those fluorescent lights. There anyway, you know. so so you could re- you know you could you've re- replaced all the components, but you know pers- if if it were my machine, I think I would just get a new fixture. You know, at a, the a, end of the day, it's cheaper, and with LED out there, why up? Why not upgrade? A new fluorescent fixture, ten fifteen dollars, perhaps a little bit more for the LED. About but, five bucks more, yeah. But you know, the LEDs are going to last a lifetime. <laughs> Um, that's, you know, that's, that's what, that's what I would do with it. All right. So our next, the, the, the second half of this question is about his game counter being stuck and won't tick when a credit is added. Uh, have you had an experience messing around with those? Well, the game counters are really nothing more than just a little solenoid that, that every time it clicks, it increments the counter. So, and these, so these, counters work off I, th- I think most of them are 12 volts i don't know if there's i don't know that i've seen any that were any other voltage yeah you're right um so what you, you know there's there's some uh simple things you I, you know if i were if if this were my game the first thing i would do is just take the take the counter out of the circuit go to a 12 volt supply and click it to the turn you know to, uh, connect it to the uh terminals of the counter see if it clicks you know, is the problem is the problem with the counter itself, or is the problem with the circuitry that drives it? So, what what you're going to have as far as let's let's say that the counter works fine if you connect it to a power supply and just kind of touch the uh, touch the leads of it to the power supply. So, what you're going to have is 12 volts going to the counter at all times, and then the other lead will go back to the game board, and the game board will supply a ground to it every time it wants to increment the counter it'll be and it will be software driven it's not going to be directly through the coin the 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 coin switch it's going to be software driven uh and it runs through a little you typically a little small transistor to to uh dissipate to you know for the current driving aspect of it um but you know check the check the device itself you know i've seen those things get hung up before mm-hmm. where they just don't work. Chris, I think you said you've had taken one apart before. Back in the day, it. yeah. So on occasion, if they're not driven exactly so, they'll they'll get uh, stuck mid-stroke, and and then what? It, the, the, the coil amateur won't move back into its home position, so it'll just sit there, and it won't advance the digits anymore. Uh, I think if you were to dismount the coin counter from whatever it's mounted to and flip it on its base, you'll see there's maybe four tabs that if you bend straight out, you can lift the cover off and, and free up whatever's binding the mechanism. It's a pretty basic uh, mechanism. And if you've never taken one apart before and you've got one sitting on a bench, open it up. It's actually a pretty cool little uh, little mechanism to look at. Okay. All right. I think we're down to our last question. This, is, this question is from Ruben. 
I have a Street Fighter II Champion Edition. The buttons work and the sound works. We're able to play it, but there's no picture on the screen. It's just blank like the tube is not getting power. I've looked for bad fuses or burnt areas, but I didn't find anything at all. Please help me. I've played this game maybe four times a year. Okay. Well, the old monitor bit. Mm. (laughs) So uh, he finishes off the question... Uh, for me, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to hit on. He finishes off the question saying he only plays it four times a year, which implies he turns it on four times a year. Uh, one thing to remember with monitors and capacitors and things like that is that they age regardless of whether or not they're turned on. Granted, they age faster when it's turned on, um, but it, it just sitting on the shelf, components age, electronics age. Uh, we don't tend to think of things like that, but I- indeed they do. Uh, I think the other... Uh, potential issue that could make a monitor go out is every time you turn the monitor on, you're sending in a surge current and that puts stress on the components as well. Uh, So could be just something freaky that happened. It could be age. It could be both. Um, In any event, what you're going to have to check is uh, I would go look at the, look at the main fuses uh, on your monitor. There should be some on the board there. Uh, Of course, make sure the power's off. Don't judge whether or not the fuse is good. Uh, looking at it visually, break out a multimeter, test for continuity. Uh, beyond that, if the monitor isn't turning on at all, uh, it's going to depend on which model of monitor right. that we're talking about as to how to move forward with that. Uh, and that starts getting into a little bit of an advanced sort of area. <laughs> um, some of the analog uh, monitors that are out there, the earlier uh, games that are out there use a, a, a linear regulator, uh, possibly some power resistors in line with the, the 120-volt AC coming in, uh, and that's something that would get looked at. The newer monitors have switch mode power supplies. Those have other components that are susceptible, um, be it uh, the drive transistors for the switcher, or uh, up to and including even passive components like capacitors shorting out that prevent it from starting up. So it really depends on what your monitor model is, and uh, this person didn't say that. Right, So, and this is just the classic plays blind, you know, so you can, you can do the simple checks, check for voltage, check the voltage coming in, check the main power connector, do we, do we have voltage coming in, mm-hmm. is the neck glowing on it, that's a, that's a good one, if the neck is not glowing that's that's bad that's bad (laughs) it's bad okay (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and you know street street fighter 2 i think all the street fighters were were they still a 19 inch screen on those i think they were so i don't recall i i was out of the arcade scene after that (laughs) point (laughs) but if it is a 19 inch screen that's you know it's going to be cga resolution it's yes it's going to be easy to find a replacement if you don't if you don't feel comfortable working on the monitor then it's really not that hard to do a monitor swap if you live in an area where you can acquire a working 19 inch monitor it's it's not too difficult to just swap the monitor out absolutely Okay, well, I think that wraps up this this wow. episode. So that was all the questions. I was so ready for more. <laughs> oh, they will come. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and and hopefully you can uh, you will listen to uh, future episodes with your new hosts, and uh, we will be back in another. We month. will back to torture and torment you. <laughs>
All right. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the RK Repair Tips question and answer podcast. All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under podcast. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.